When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan, And me, Julia Ajayi. This is the podcast which delves into brain injury and its impact on all involved. Welcome to this episode of On A Good Day. Today, we're looking at the time immediately after a brain injury when a loved one's in hospital and the days, weeks and months in Julia and I's cases following it. I remember it being a hugely challenging time of uncertainty and just not knowing what to do or what was happening. Well, joining us to discuss this topic and give her insight and knowledge on how best to deal with the situation is Susie Barker, who's an advisor at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge and works closely alongside the brain injury charity Headway. Susie assists brain injury survivors and their families while they're in hospital, meeting them at a time of crisis and giving free information and advice. I was lucky enough to meet a headway worker just like Susie when my husband was in Addenbrooke's. So I know firsthand just how important her work is. Welcome Susie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, hi, thank you. Now what you do is a service that's not available in all hospitals. I personally didn't have a Susie when my husband Paul had his brain injury. And I know many of our listeners won't either. Can you start by giving us an idea of the kind of advice and help that you give at what is a really difficult time for families and their loved ones. My role in the hospital is part of the Major Trauma Signposting Partnership. So I work really closely with the major trauma teams and anyone who comes um, through um, Addenbrooke Hospital who has a brain injury through a major trauma will be referred to our service. Really, we're there to offer that support from headway and guidance just just so to help people understand what brain injury is, what the impact can be and what resources are actually there and what, what worries they have at the moment and how I could help them explore that and what that might look like and really helping people to manage expectations as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of you both have experience of of brain injury. There's um, a lot of time and a lot of patience involved. And people want to know what to do in that time and, and, and how best to help their loved one or how best to help themselves. So we look at lots of techniques um, around managing fatigue, for example, further down um, the road to recovery. I've also done quite a bit of work around how to speak to someone who's in a coma. What do we say? What do we do? What's helpful for me? What would be helpful for them? And also to something tangible to give to friends of theirs or schools or um, if it's a young um, chap you know that I've recently been working with helping his friends understand why he can't game for two or three hours at a go why 
you know, his processing isn't what it used to be. Why, you know, no one can give an answer as to when he's going to be exactly the way he used to be and why that might never happen. And just really helping people keep relationships and also explore new pathways and, and new relationships. That's great, Susie. Thank you. I think that's a, a really great overview. What are the questions you get asked most often? The, the question is all about time. Have you have you ever seen someone who's this bad before who comes through? Can you give me examples? People are always wanting to know, is this going to get better? Have you experienced someone being this unwell and getting better? And of course, you know, I don't have those answers. So it really is helping that person understand that actually no one really has those answers at that point and, you know, how best to just look at the journey and where they're at and where they can work together to move forward. It's it, it's just helping somebody understand that they're just part of that whole process, that whole journey and how, how important it is for them. But it is the most asked question is how long will this take and, you know, will it be OK? Um, and that's, of course, a really difficult question to, to manage. The other question um, a lot is around fatigue. It's the most common question around managing fatigue and um, the impact that fatigue actually has on relationships and um, work-life balance, you know, further along and also in education, young people going back to school. Um, and we do have, you know, lots of techniques that you can use and, you know, it's recognising that you need to have guilt-free naps and you have to have you know guilt-free time to actually prepare for an event that's happening on Friday you might have to start actually looking at that on Tuesday Wednesday you know all of these different things but um, fatigue is a major one and memory as well it is a really hard one for people to go from you know being in a job where they're you know very quick executive functioning to not being able to have word recall and, you know, of course there is techniques, but again, that's all about time scale and recovery and really helping people understand what that processing is and how they can help their partner or son or daughter to, you know, develop those skills further. So those are those are other common questions. And again, an, another one is um, what is out there, what, who, what is out there for support? So we would, you know, refer people to... Um, well, this is going to be a wonderful resource to your podcast, but also to other people's blogs, looking at other people's stories, you know, just really understanding that people have got through this and their, their journey continues and it's doable and perhaps it is peer support out there. So it's really just about linking people in with that in the community as well. And of course, we have wonderful headway services in the community. So we, we, <laughs> we link straight into those and to the surrounding areas as well. I think you're right. People want to have that reassurance they want mm -hmm. to have an element of hope and obviously the thing oh, with brain injury everybody is so different and there is no definitive answer a lot of it is based on the patient and how hard they work and of yeah there's so many things around it isn't it so I can yeah. totally resonate with all of those questions that people ask and I think that's right when you say um, about hope when I, when I mentioned earlier about managing expectations that is not to dampen people's expectations that's you know really to encourage hope and how positive hope you know can be and how that comes across to the patient and for your family and you know in, in times when it's so uncertain you know what's going to happen in the future I think that hope gets people through and you know it's it is a very important aspect of the the pathway really. 
definitely. And I mean, you all have seen so many different ways in which um, people and families deal with this kind of situation. From your experience, what are the most kind of positive things that families can do in this situation for themselves and for the person who's had the brain injury? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of self-care, you know, when, I'm, when I am speaking to people who are who are relatives or, or next of kin, it's really, you know, reminding yourself to look after yourself when, when there's people surrounding you that are offering help, they genuinely mean it. Pull in as many, you know, as many resources as you can. Make sure that you are having that support for yourself so that you can support, you know, your loved one. And I think having that sort of calming presence and being around somebody where you've got, you know, some some sense of what's going on at home, just to make sure that you're keeping them up to date about what's going on at home, maybe keeping some diaries, um, you know, perhaps just all of the things that happen in our lives that still have to happen and have to continue. Make sure that you're including that person in, in, in those choices and in those and in that feedback. And it's just about you know, trying to make sure that you have that support, that you're aware of what support is available in the hospital and what support your friends and family are able to give. But also making sure that that person who's experienced a brain injury are still included in the, in that family dynamic and, and, and part of it. I think what you mentioned there, Susie, about self-care is so important, but can be one of the most difficult things yep. at yep. that time of crisis to, to think about and to be aware of as well. I do remember, you know, people saying, oh, go home and have a rest. And, yeah. you know, self-care is really important. But when there's so much going on at that time of crisis, I think often we do forget about it. So it's great to have that message reinforced. Yeah. And, you know, the, some of those things that you're talking about that you have to do, it becomes a very busy time for people, you know, when there's been, you know, a trauma or, or um, an acquired brain injury, there's lots to do. There's lots of practical things to do. Quite often, you know, there's financial issues to worry about. There's, you know, there's the practicalities of, you know, how do we get the children to school? How do I visit? There's all of these things. And, you know, if we could sit down together and perhaps work out what that looks like and who could help where, you know, I'm more than happy to do those, those pieces of work and, you know, really enjoy helping families look at that and again that's why it's, it's so good um, I feel very lucky to be in the position with the major trauma signposting partnership because I can say well actually my colleague who works for the citizens advice this is you know we'll refer you there they will call you straight away you don't need to be on the phone for hours we can pull in the, the knowledge that's in that major trauma team that we sit with because we actually I'm actually based in that office and um, we have, you know, um, really good advisors on, on legal. So there's lots of those practicalities that are just whizzing around in relatives' heads. They think, how, how and where, how do I do this? We can, you know, help to alleviate some of those issues so that we can concentrate on, on understanding that brain injury and, and, and what the effects that has. Coming back a little bit to kind of the role of the family and particularly children. I mean, Julia and I both had quite young children when our husbands that you know are fairly young mine was 38 when he had his stroke okay. how do you find having you know children visiting in hospital like what are the kind of best ways to go about that and explaining to the children what's happened and, and how to deal in that situation it can be quite frightening for children so coming into an environment where there's lots of 
beeps and alarms and you know they don't know whether it's someone calling for to go to the loo or whether you know it's it's something quite scary happening so an introduction to what a hospital feels like looks like arranging a space where the children don't feel um boxed in um making sure that they're the the children are, are prepared so lots of pictures sometimes people can look very different some people after their brain injury express themselves in a very different way so maybe some preparation with some video calls first off um, and also perhaps just really um, speaking to the team before this happens and making sure that for example if daddy's been looked after by um, one of the coordinators who they're very close to making sure that the coordinator has time to come and say hi so, you know, this is what I do. This is how I look after your dad. And, you know, so they get a sense of what's going on and, you know, a sense of safety that, you know, that their father may be getting looked after well by these nice people who came and said hello. And, you know, there's a bit of kindness and, and care there. And the other thing is actually on the day of visits to make sure that you have perhaps a little indication word, you know, sentence that the child can say when they've had enough and they want some time out. So, you know, perhaps this is quite difficult for them to handle. So if they say, can I have a drink now, mummy or, you know, daddy, that would be the indication that you would want to take a bit of time out and step away and have a chat. But yeah, so there's lots lots of different techniques to prepare children. Um, but, you know, definitely preparation is key. So what, what to expect and what's going to happen on the day and how, how they're going to deal with that. And also time really limit the visits very very short periods of time just an introduction to how that care is going the other thing Susie that I found with um my two when uh, my husband was in in hospital was that they had different feelings about it okay. as well they were they were different ages yeah and um, they're five years apart but actually one felt much more comfortable going in yeah. than the other one and I think respecting that difference yeah. of feeling yeah. and and going yeah. with when they feel is the right time for them as well I don't know what you think about that I think that's definitely right I mean I think you, you, you've got to think about it it's got to be for the children you know I know I know that it must be incredibly important for somebody who's recovering from brain injury to want to see their children and to have that need but for that relationship and that trust to be there, it's got to be at the right time for the children. And, you know, it, it, of course, it's age dependent, but it might be, you know, very important for the, the, the teachers to know for any other support that's going on around their child so that there can be like, you know, some real support leading up to that. And again, letting the children know that must have been quite difficult for one to have felt comfortable and the other not because there'll be a guilt associated with that and everything else. So it's just about making it very much about choice and making it okay and it being okay to make those choices and decisions and for everybody to be different and understand that. That must have been quite quite tricky, I imagine. Um, yes, it was, but um, actually we also used letter writing and took in yeah. letters that they had written, which was great, actually. That's really lovely, actually, because it's really tangible, isn't it? It's something that can stay there past the Zoom call and past the phone call. It's really nice to have that sort of, yeah, letters and written words. It's a great idea. It was quite quite an emotional experience having to read it out. And in fact, yeah. I had to get a friend to read out the letter oh, from my imagine. daughter because I was in tears. But yes, I think it was. It was, it was a great thing yeah. to do, actually.
there are so many different ways now I mean yeah we we did a lot of sort of cards um writing to daddy I mean it was very young there wasn't like long letters that we could necessarily write but also made use of videos as well so easy now with technology but going back to what you were saying about limiting kind of the time that you spend and that probably goes across the board doesn't it with with other visitors because of that fatigue that they Yeah, and that goes for, you know, like myself, even visiting the ward, I'm really aware that um, at the moment we've only got, um, I think it's two hours visitation um, a day. So um, for two different people in the family. So, yeah, I try to make my visits really short and sweet and sort of planned. So I know that I'm going along today. But yeah, I mean, I think it's nice for somebody to sit in silence and keep someone company, but I think the expectation to be able to engage in a conversation, even with the mildest of brain injuries, um, you know, when it's very new, it can be very tricky. Um, So, yeah, so limiting expectations on the amount of input that you're going to have from a patient or, or, or a relative who's had a brain injury, for sure, yeah. I do think that also at that time when talking can be so difficult that just the power of of positive touch just by holding hands or you know stroking someone's arm or you know even just looking into someone's eyes is so powerful it's such a huge part of recovery and it it is that reassurance and touch it's human nature isn't it it's what what's what we all crave to heal (laughs) and you know how difficult that must have been for families during the times of COVID when we weren't able to you know to do that it's unimaginable how difficult that must have been absolutely I think it must have been hugely difficult for people not to be able to reach out in that very natural way and my my thoughts are with those families that had to deal with this um, through that time uh, I think it was also interesting when you mentioned the work that you've done and conversations you've had with friends of mm-hmm. a young man that you are working with at the moment. And I think what you know, part of us coming together with this podcast is not only thinking about families, but also those wider circles of friends and community, yeah. because as we know, they're so important to the recovery mm-hmm. of someone or the, the progress that someone can make yeah. and how we're supported as a as a family. So yeah. how do you see the role of friends both in hospital um, and when someone leaves hospital? It's tricky because, you know, long established friendships, if um, if you're more mature in age, you can see itself quite nicely over, 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 tra- over trauma and, and brain injury. But when you're working with young people, the dynamics of friendships change so much when um, somebody's personality um, has has shifted even just slightly. It can be quite tricky. So it's about positive reinforcement for those those friends that, you know, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be a bit different around your friend. It's about helping them understand that they can adapt their friendship to match what's new and what's going on and what's you know how things are developing it's tricky it is tricky for young people to adapt in that way but just to offer them that support is key and again you know with brain injury some some good comes out of that and I've seen especially in our hub services how new relationships develop and how important it is to actually reach out and and, and see other people in your peer groups that are that, that have experienced similar um, things to yourself 
and perhaps make new friends and new relationships. Um, again, for like I was saying, for older people or people of more mature age, um, it is just about allowing, you know, the understanding of what that brain injury looks like and perhaps how you could help with communication, you know, what, what are the difficulties, what can I do to uh, adapt and what would be useful. You mentioned that there was a, that you offered emotional support as well. What, what kind of support does that look like? Well, Okay, so I mean, obviously, there's um, uh, psychological support available in the hospital. I'm not a trained counsellor. So when I say emotional support, it's really a listening ear. Quite often, it's the wards can be very busy. People in general um, have an anxiety of, of taking up a very valuable nurse's time or a, a, a doctor's time. And, you know, we're lucky enough to be in the hospital to go to those um, ward meetings that happen to be able to interact with all those other professionals and take some questions and, um, you know, to the other professionals. So they're just to give that time and listen and see where we can, you know, refer them on to or whether we could have a little bit of an impact if we then spoke to um, a nurse about their concerns or a doctor about their concerns. And it's really just, when I say emotional support, it really is just listening to that person and hearing what they have to say and where they're at. One thing I'd like to just pick up on, Susie, from what you said before, is you mentioned about a personality shift, however mm -hmm. small. And I understand that that is, of course, a result of many brain injuries. But also, I think that it isn't always. No. And that, however, a loss of capabilities um, might be... Is, is, I see it as quite different from a shift in personality. And I just wanted to mm -hmm. pick up on that because yeah. I think that some of the effects um, on friendships and yes. relationships can be similar because yeah. we, as people around someone who've had a brain injury, have to cope with that change in a person. Mm -hmm. But I think those changes can be due to a change in what someone is able to do, but not necessarily in their personality but it could be both of course yeah yeah I think that's right what kind of um support do you offer because I, I found and you will I'm sure have seen families deal with things in different ways in hospitals mm -hmm. and there's so much information to take in and then often it's only when you kind of get home that it really really hits you and you kind of think oh gosh what was what was that Susie saying about that service or to do here, there and everywhere? So yeah. what is there after um, they leave hospital? What do you still connect with those families yeah. and survivors? Yeah, of course. So that's that's the beauty of being with Headway, really, is it, that allows us to, to continue in, on that journey. So in the hospital, usually um, what I would do is be having initial conversations with the patient or with the family. And then I would do um, a follow up letter is lovely. But I think for going back and finding something, usually an email is great. So I would send a follow up email with what we chatted about that day and some resources that I think might be useful. And then I would reconnect maybe a week or, or, or so, whatever time we've arranged. And we can go through some of those resources and we can um, have a chat about where, where we're at and if there's anything else that we can do and then they've always got my mobile phone number and my email contact so it's easy just to get back in contact 
Um, lots of um, the patients that I get referred actually are post-discharge. So they've come back into clinic having been discharged. So we can still pick them up from the um, major signposting team and I would contact them at home. And if they were local, refer them into our services or um, into other headway services. Amazing. I think just the um, fact that you're providing that continuity, Susie, is really, really important because you mentioned it's a really busy time and yeah. I think it is. And that yeah. continues when you get home as yeah. well. Yeah. And so the fact that you're reaching out to people, I think is great because if it's must phone Susie, another thing on the list that I've got to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is a really important thing, but with everything else can sometimes get lost. So I think the fact that you're saying you reach out to people yeah. is really, really important. And I also wanted to pick up with on just what you were saying about being able to reach out and ask for help yeah. from other people and from Headway. And I think that that's so important. So thank you so much for being there and talking to us today to say what is possible and reminding us about how important all of those connections are. And you. just finally from me, what would be the top three pieces of advice that you would give to families and friends at this time on what is a very life-changing event in somebody's life? Of course, it's um, don't be afraid to ask the questions and don't be afraid to ask for the help. Sometimes not being able to face something can, can make it more scary. And pull in as many friends around you as you can. And if you find yourself being isolated, pull in some people from organisations such as ourselves and let us connect you. It's all about having that support around you and making sure that you take up that support from all of the medical teams and all of the people that are offering that socially as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. What great advice and tips Susie had. That is definitely an episode I'd have benefited from listening to when my husband Paul first had his stroke. So if you know anyone who may be in a similar situation, please do share this. We want this to be a resource to help as many people as possible. And please do share on social media. If you're listening on your phone, take a screenshot, um, post it and tag us. We're on Instagram as onagood.day and we'd love it if you wrote us a five-star review. For more details on this episode and where to find us, do check the show notes. Thank you for listening and until next time, have a very good day. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.